Today's scripture is from Daniel chapter 4, verses 24 through 37. In addition to your own Bible, you can find it on the back of your message notes. If able, please stand for the reading of God's Word. Um, the uh, Bible I'm reading from is the uh, New American Standard Version. It's very close to what yours is, says on the back of your notes, so you'll be able to keep up. This is the interpretation, O King. This is the decree of the Most High, which has come upon my Lord, the King. That you be driven away from mankind, your dwelling place will be with the beasts of the field, and you will be given grass to eat like cattle, and be drenched with the dew of heaven. And seven periods of time will pass over you until you recognize that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it upon whomever he wishes. And in that, it was commanded to leave the stump that the roots of the tree, your kingdom will be assured to you after you recognize that it is heaven that rules. Therefore, O king, may my advice be pleasing to you. Break away now from your sins by doing righteousness and from your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor, in which case there may be a prolonging of your prosperity. All this happened to Nebuchadnezzar the king. Twelve months later, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. The king reflected and said, Is this not Babylon the great, which I myself have built as a royal residence by the might of my power and for the glory of my majesty? While the word was in the king's mouth, a voice came from heaven saying, King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is declared, sovereignty has been removed from you and you will be driven away from mankind, and your dwelling place will be with the beasts of the field. You will be given grass to eat like cattle, and seven periods of time will pass over you until you recognize that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it on whomever he wishes. Immediately the word concerning Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled, and he was driven away from mankind and began eating grass like cattle. And his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair had grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. But at the end of that period, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven and my reason returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing, but he does according to his will in the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of earth. And no one can ward off his hand or say to him, what have you done? At that time, my reason returned to me and my majesty and splendor were restored to me for the glory of my kingdom and my counselors and my nobles began seeking me out. So I was reestablished in my sovereignty and surpassing greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise, exalt, and honor the King of heaven, for all his works are true and his ways just, and he is able to humble those who walk in pride. This is the word of God, and God's people said, thanks be to God. You may be seated. 
All right. That's a very long passage of Scripture, and believe it or not, um, I left out more than half of the story. And so I'm going to have to today kind of give you a review of the story because it's a very long chapter with, a lots, that, with lots of uh, information in it. And so we're going to begin our, 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 our time together by just understanding the flow of this story, and then we'll take a look at the lessons from this uh, story. The book of Daniel, which we've been studying here for the last, uh, last few weeks, is, a, is an immensely practical book for anyone who finds themselves living in a culture which does not respect either them or their beliefs. That was precisely the situation for the people of Israel when they were sent off into exile into the land of Babylon, in large part for the sole purpose of acculturating them to Babylon, making them good Babylonian citizens, and how, trying to train them to forget what it meant to be the people of God. So the book of Daniel is written in large part to help people have both wisdom and hope when it looks like the whole culture is against you. How do I navigate my way through it? And how do I have hope that someday things will be better? And of course, we've been seeing a lot in this story. It's a beautiful book. This is a section of the Bible, very small section of the Bible that's actually written in Aramaic, and it has kind of a pyramid structure that speaks about how God is sovereign over all the kingdoms of men. So let's take a look a little bit at the king's dream, and I'll do my best to give you a quick summary of this story before we talk about some of its practical applications for, uh, for our lives. So first of all, I want you to see the king's dream and his consternation. The king had a dream in the first part of this chapter. I had Greg read for you the end of this chapter. It's not his first dream. He had a dream also in the second chapter. Uh, you think that people with all the wealth and all the power in the world, and he was the most powerful. In fact, in some ways, he, you may consider him the most powerful man in the history of the world. He literally was so powerful, and he had no, uh, everyone answered to him. You'd think he would rest easy, but he did, and he keeps worrying about the future, and that's pretty typical, isn't it? And so he had had a dream earlier, and Daniel interpreted that dream for him, and uh, he's had lots of experiences all the way through, but he seems to never get the truth about how God is in control of things, even though he thinks he is. So we see the king's dream and his consternation. I, Nebuchadnezzar, he says, was at ease in my house. I'm in verse 4. And remember, it's always a good idea to bring your Bibles if you can. Uh, but listen carefully if you don't. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and prospering in my palace. I saw a dream that made me afraid. As I lay in bed, the fancies and the visions of my head alarmed me. He had this dream and it made him afraid. It was an auspicious dream. This is not, again, the first time. He's already had another dream before. He has, a, and in this dream, he has a dream of a great tree. He talks about it as time goes on. Um, and uh, um, the, uh, a, 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 a dream, dream of a, a, great, a great tree. Um, and the tree grew wide and was big and sheltered all the animals and all the beasts of the field. And everyone prospered under, underneath the tree. Verse 13, I saw in the visions of my head... 
as I lay in my bed, behold, he says, a watcher, a holy one came down from heaven. He proclaimed and said, chop down the tree, lop off its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the beasts flee from under, the, under it and the birds from its branches. So he sees this great, beautiful, prosperous, blooming tree. And now a watcher is called, a watcher from heaven comes and says, uh, chop it down and destroy it. And then it says about this, but leave the stump of its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze, this is verse 15, and tender grass of the field. Let him be wet with dew of heaven. Let his portion be with the beasts in the grass of the earth. Let his mind be changed from a man's, and let a beast's mind be given to him, and let seven periods of time pass over him. So now he begins to understand this dream is not just about a tree. This dream is about a man. And I think he probably knows what man it is it's probably him he doesn't know for sure but i, I it is but he probably thinks it is and he says this tree is going to be cut down and it will then become like a beast and so he is very troubled about uh, about this dream and and so that's found in verses 1 through 18 then in verse 19 we see that dan god called uh, the king, Nebuchadnezzar, calls Daniel, who is also named Belteshazzar, he calls him in because he knows he is gifted in the interpretation of dreams. Now remember, Daniel is not a Babylonian. He's an Israelite Jew. He's high up in the kingdom. He's one of the elites of the culture. But early in his life, Daniel, it says in the first chapter, had resolved not to defile himself. And he and his friends had taken great risks in saying, I will serve the king, but I will not compromise my beliefs in so doing, and I will say the truth. So he had done that all the way throughout. And so Daniel is called in, and now for the second time, he is asked to interpret the dream. So Daniel hears this dream, and it says in verse 19, where we see the prophets interpret. This is the second thing. First, we had the king's dream and his consternation. Now, in verses 19 to 27, we have the prophet's interpretation and his admonition. Okay? So let's see what he interprets the dream. Then Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was dismayed for a while, and his thoughts alarmed him. The king answered and said, Belshazzar, Belteshazzar, let not the dream or the interpretation alarm you. Belteshazzar answered and said, my Lord, may the dream be for those who hate you and its interpretation for your enemies. He's troubled by the dream. If you're, you know, uh, uh, this happens in every culture, uh, in every government, I suppose, in every powerful place. If you're a second in command or third in command and you're asked to tell the truth and you have to say something really tough to the boss... That may not go well for you. So Daniel is thinking, I don't think the king's going to want to hear the answer to this dream. So I'm going to say, may it not happen to you, Belteshazzar, or, uh, um, uh, Nebuchadnezzar. But he says, he goes on to interpret the dream. The tree you saw which grew and became strong so that its top reached to heaven and was visible to the end of the whole earth whose leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant and in which was food for all under which the beasts of the field found shade and whose branches, uh, uh, and the, whose branches the birds of the heavens lived. It is you, O king, who have grown and become strong. Your greatness has grown and reaches to heaven and your dominion to the ends of the earth. He says, you are 
the king, a little bit like Nathaniel the prophet, Nathan the prophet said to David once, you are the man, right? Here, Daniel says, you are that tree, okay? And it says, um, verse 23, and because the king saw a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, chop down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump and its roots in the earth, bound to the band of iron, etc., etc. This is the interpretation, O king. It is a decree of the Most High, which has come upon my Lord the king, that you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and be wet with the dew of heaven, and seven periods of time. We don't know if that's seven years, seven months, seven weeks. Anyway, seven time periods. Uh, seven periods of, uh, where was I? Um, one of these days, I'm going to have to wear glasses to church, but I hope that day is not still far away. Um, seven, uh, and, and so... Uh, and so, verse 26, and so it will be commanded to leave the stump of the roots of the tree, and your kingdom shall be confirmed to you from the time that you know that heaven rules. Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness, and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed, that there may be perhaps a lengthening of your prosperity. The prophet gives an interpretation. He says, King, you are the tree. You've built a great kingdom, which has led to the prospering of many animals and everyone under its shelter. But someday you're going to be chopped down because you are prideful and you will then take on the mind of a beast. You will lose your sanity for a period of time until you begin to realize, till you begin to realize that the most high rules the kingdom of men. And I skipped that verse by accident. Then uh, verse 25. Then you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and you shall be wet with the dew of heaven, and seven periods of time shall pass over you. And here's the phrase I forgot. Till you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. This is the critical issue. The king thinks he's in charge, and he's not. And in fact, that phrase, the most high rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will, is repeated three times in this chapter. That's the first. Three times. So the obvious theme of this chapter is that leadership and those in countries need to know that the most high is the true king of all the earth and that we are accountable to the most high for how both we lead if we are a leader and for how we follow if we are a follower. And so he gives to the king that admonition. He says, oh, so king, listen to my counsel, verse 27. Break off your sin by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed. See, the challenge for those who have power is they want to consider serve and consolidate towards their own benefit, thinking that someday it may benefit others, of course, yeah? But really the issue is my own, and the reality is the scriptures teach that those who are in power need to make sure that those who do not have power have protection and justice, justice so that everyone gets what they deserve. So he says, remember the oppressed. I advise you, he says, to do that. Now, verse 28, we have seen uh, in verses 1 to 18, the king's dream and his consternation. We've seen in verses 19 to 27, the prophet's interpretation and his admonition. And now we'll see in, in verses 28 to 33, the king's pride 
and his humiliation. The king's pride and his humiliation. All this, verse 28, all this happened, this is the part which Greg read for you, Hap came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, he was walking. I mean, this is such a vivid story. He's walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. The king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence for the glory of my majesty? While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven, O king Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you, and you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox in seven periods of time until you know, the same phrase again, that the Most High rules the, ki- the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. And of course, immediately, the king fell into what we would call today insanity, beginning to act like a beast of the field. You'd think he would have learned. The story is all the way through here, how the king needs to learn that there is a God to whom he is accountable. Unless we be so critical of those who we think of as kings in our culture today, the reality is every one of us wants to be king of our own little domain, and we too are accountable to the king of heaven, okay? So we see the king's pride and his humiliation. And then fourthly, in, verse, in verses 34 to the end of the chapter, uh, we see the king's reasoning and his restoration. The king's reasoning and his restoration. There is mercy at the end of this story. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, personal testimony of his. This, be, this story begins and ends with the personal testimony of Nebuchadnezzar, the king. I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my reason returned to me. You know, it is insanity to think you are in control. That's the truth. Right? I looked up to heaven, and my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High, and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures forever And going on, he talks about his restoration to the king. So here we see the flow of the story, the king's dream and his consternation, the prophet's interpretation and his admonition, the king's pride and his humiliation, and the king's reason and his restoration. That once he saw the truth about who was really in charge of his kingdom and his life, he was restored to sanity and to health and to wholeness. So what are we to take from this fascinating and interesting children's story? We think it was a children's story, but it has tremendous application. Well, let's apply the story with three different different thoughts I want to share with you. The big idea, first of all, a lesson, uh, a lesson from the whole story. A lesson from the whole story. And that is found in the phrase which is repeated in verse 17, verse 25, and verse 32. I'll just quickly remind you of that because I want you to see how prominent this is in the story. At the end of, uh, during during the verse 17, the sentence is by the, this is when he is reporting the vision itself to the dream to, to, to Daniel. 
The sentence is by the decree of the watchers, the decision by the word of the holy ones, to the end that the living may know that the most high rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will and sets over it the lowliness of the, the lowliest of men. The most high is the ruler of the kingdom of men. In verse 25 again, until you know at the end that the most high rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. And then repeat it again, until you know that the most high rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. So the message of this book to the exiles there in Babylon, these people who were trying to follow God in the midst of a culture which did not respect them or their faith, was to be reminded for them that it was the Most High who was ultimately in control of the universe. And if you come back each week as we go through this book chapter and chapter, you will see that ultimately, as you have seen already two weeks ago, God will destroy every human empire and His full kingdom will come on the, on the earth. That's a big idea for them, that they would understand no matter how difficult and dark it seemed to be, never put all your hopes in the government and in the empire. Never do that. It's a waste of time. It's a, it's a bad idea, right? Because the most high is the ruler over men. The most is high. So we see that there's three ideas under this big idea, the lesson from the whole story that God is in charge. First of all, God rules over every king and kingdom. God rules over how many kings and kingdoms? Not just Babylon. Not just Rome. Not just Great Britain. <laughs> not just the United States. Not just China. Not every kingdom of this world... God is the ultimate rule, the sovereignty of God over every ruler and every kingdom. That's always so difficult because for the most part, we tend to want to think that we should only honor someone if we like what they're teaching. <laughs> but we always need to honor. And this is, I know, please, I will really try not to hurt anybody's feelings today as best I can. It's important to me. But we always need to remember that it is God who is ultimately in control. And we should never put our hopes or our fears directly in whoever happens to be in charge. Uh, whether it's 2000, what's this, 19 or 2010. We always want to affirm that God appoints rulers according to his will. God is ruling over every king and kingdom. And it says that in the second thing it says under this idea is that, um, uh, is that the, um, and that God, God the, mo the most high rules over the kingdom and, and gives it to whom he will. That means that for better or worse, we always have the leadership we deserve. We always do. Now, that doesn't mean we always agree with everything. Doesn't mean we have to support everything. But it means we need to understand, they needed to understand, that even though Nebuchadnezzar, I mean, think about this. Nebuchadnezzar was a pagan, brutal king. He slaughtered people. He was a bad dude. If you're Daniel, 
you kind of want him gone. But he understood that ultimately he needed to respect the fact that God had put leadership in his charge. And it always frustrates me when I find Christians, not any of you, of course, who are free to speak disparagingly when the wrong guy is in charge and always, right, always wanting to defend the guy when they think the right guy is in charge. That's the way it is in the country. It should not be the way in Christians' hearts. Christians should always understand. And that's true whether you live here or whether you live in Saudi Arabia or whether, wherever it is you happen to live. Now, there's another part to this story, and I'm a, because I'm afraid I'm going to forget it, is that Daniel did always speak the truth to power. His support of the person that God had placed over him did not stop him from speaking the truth. He spoke the truth. And sometimes we tend to favor one side or the other. If we don't like what's going on, we think it's important to speak the truth. Right? If we do like what's going on, we think it's important to support the leader. We need to see the wisdom beyond all of that. That somehow, and you know, sometimes putting these, putting, trying to pull two disparate things together, support and truth, can get your arms stretched out and you can find yourself crucified which is what happened to Jesus as well. Yeah. Um, in that Jesus, there were those who said, well, should we support Rome? Well, give to Caesar what's Caesar and give to God's what is God's. Give to God your heart. Give to Caesar your taxes. Don't get it mixed up, right? Okay? All right. So God rules and God gives kingdoms to whom he will. And God removes kings and kingdoms at his will. Oh, what a, I know this is hard, but think about it, what it must have been for Daniel and for those people. They did not like what was going on for them. But they had been taught that somehow in the sovereignty of God, they had the leadership that was right for them at that point. That didn't stop them from speaking the truth but now also didn't stop them from being good citizens. And it takes a lot of wisdom to know how to navigate our way towards the middle of that, okay? That was, that's the big idea of the story. God rules, God gives, and God removes. He removed this king. You know, he says in verse 17, the most high rules over the kingdom of men, that's the first point, and gives it to whom he will, that's the second part, and sets over it the lowliest of men. You know, he takes it away, all right? Now, there's a big idea in this for the king himself. That was the big idea of the story. The big idea for Nebuchadnezzar himself. What are some of the lessons from the life of the king, any of us in leadership in any organization or as well. Number one, remember who's really in charge. Remember who's really, that was the problem. Nebuchadnezzar, he'd already said in chapter three, oh, I see that the, there is a holy God of Israel. You should recognize him. After the, after the boys survived the fire, remember that in chapter three? But he thought, he thought, well, that he was an important God, but he wasn't going to tell him how to run his kingdom. The big idea for Nebuchadnezzar, remember who's in charge. 
for the leadership of any country or any uh, political system or any business or any, um, uh, any leadership position. Remember that authority is designated to you by God and you're responsible to God for that, the exercise of that leadership, of that authority. Yes, the, the leader, he had forgotten who was really in charge. And it was when his reason returned to him and he saw the heaven, he saw the truth, that he now was restored. And we see always, it is generally speaking throughout truth, that, uh, that those who are in leadership have, have lots of power, have trouble remembering who's really in charge. Sometimes we in the church need to be willing to tell them that, as Daniel did that day at great cost to his own life. Also, the lesson for big Nebuchadnezzar in the midst of all this, for the leader in charge, is to practice righteousness and mercy. He gives to him his advice. He says, Lord, break off your sins by practicing righteousness, by practicing righteousness, living rightly, doing what is right. That's so difficult in any political environment. It's always more, it's always tempting to do what is expedient and not do what is right. And, well, enough of that point, right? All right? Um, I know. Please, don't hate me. Can you give me a little grace today? I'm just trying to talk. I'm trying to teach the story, you know. Uh, and we need to speak what's, do what's right. And then it says, also he says, and care for those, show mercy to those who are oppressed. Show mercy. If you have power, you have a responsibility towards those who don't. Yeah. Stewardship, power is a stewardship to be used for the common good. But I think the most important lesson that we see in Nebuchadnezzar's life is that pride leads to insanity, but reason leads to worship. You see, his pride led him to be like a beast and losing his true reason. But once reason returned to him, he was be able to see that it was God who was in charge of this world. And that, that, that God's, notice what it says in those phrases at the end. My re, verse 34, my reason returned to me and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion. And his kingdom endures from generation to generation. He saw that he wasn't the last king on the earth. There was another king, and his kingdom was going to last forever. Reason caused him to see the truth about his life. And reason can cause you to be, uh, see the truth about your life as well. So we see the big idea of the story. We see the big idea of the story for Nebuchadnezzar. Remember who's in charge and etc. But what's the big idea for Daniel, the prophet? What's the lesson from the, the life of Daniel? One thing that I think is really important to see is Daniel served faithfully. He spoke respectfully and he spoke truthfully. We'll close with these ideas. He served faithfully. He spoke respectfully, and he spoke truthfully. Daniel was a faithful servant in that kingdom, even though he had been torn away from his homeland, forced to have a new name he didn't want, forced to serve a king who had been oppressive to his people. He understood that it was his responsibility under God to serve that king 
faithfully, to serve that king faithfully. And this is the thing. Sometimes we can want to just entirely remove ourselves from the environment and not be a blessing. And so we remove, remove the salt and the light from the places that need both salt and light. He served faithfully. And we should serve faithfully. Whether or not we agree with whoever's in charge, we should be serving faithfully. We should, as an act of worship to God, say, these are the people God has put into my life. These are the parents I was given. This is the family I was given. This is the job I have. This is the boss I serve. This is the country in which I live. I will be a good husband, a good father, a good employee, a good boss, a good citizen, a good neighbor, not because it's expedient or practical to do so, but because I honor God by honoring those God has placed over me. It's always, always important to do. He served faithfully, but he also spoke respectfully. I really like this, and, um, you know, um, you know, when Daniel, first of all, when Daniel's, Daniel's, whose name was Belteshazzar, was dismayed for a while, and his thoughts disarmed, alarmed him, and he said, my Lord, may the dream be for those who hate you, and its interpretation for your enemies. Daniel was respectful to the king that had been given to him. He spoke respectfully to him. And he says, therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. He's very respectful. And it troubles me when we can be so disrespectful towards those in state or government leadership. Now, before you, again, the sad thing about this is we tend to turn this into certain personalities all the time. We shouldn't be doing that. Because the reality is we tend to think it's good to be respectful towards those we disagree with. You don't have to be very disrespectful towards those you don't. That is not from the Scriptures. Be respectful. But he also, thirdly, spoke truthfully, even at great personal risk to himself. He spoke the truth to the king. He could have done what all the other guys did and say, Oh, king, live forever. It'll all be good. Those are your enemies. That was a dream about your enemies. They're gonna, they could have made anything up he wanted to. Or he could have just slid by the truth. But all the way through this story, we see both Daniel and his friends speaking the truth to power. So, yes, we want to be respectful. But also, in this ancient book from, from 2,500 years ago, we're taught to be both respectful and truthful. And so he said, King, break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy so there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. He said, King, you're the guy. You're prideful. You don't know whose kingdom it is. And so you're going to lose it until you learn the truth about it. He spoke truthfully to Nebuchadnezzar. And of course, Nebuchadnezzar forgot about it, but ultimately, once he had paid the price, he learned his lesson. Well, I don't know what got into me to speak out of the book of Daniel this month, <laughs> but uh, these, it seems to me that there are principles here that are so important for us in our lives.
to know that no matter how bleak it might appear to us in our personal or professional or political life, it's, there is hope at the end. And no matter how beautiful it appears to us in our personal, our professional, our political life, there's always a warning in the midst of that to never forget who's in charge and to be responsible. And so we, whether we are Daniel, we need to serve faithfully, speak respectfully, and speak truthfully. And whenever we are in charge, we need to remember to practice righteousness and mercy and know who is in charge. And that ultimately we see that God is in charge of this world. And God will establish his kingdom. Because of a few centuries after Daniel, there was a prophet, another prophet who emerged, who said, the kingdom of heaven is near. And he was announcing a very different kind of kingdom. If he had come to overthrow Rome, he would have had many followers. If he had come to join up to Rome, he would also have had many followers. But instead, what he did is he found a middle way, a middle way of rendering to Caesar what was Caesar's and rendering to God what was God's and laying down his life for the sake of the kingdom. And in this book of Daniel, had I more time and you'll learn as we go, each of these people were willing to lay down their lives for the sake of the kingdom. Daniel's three friends in the furnace, Daniel himself before the lion's den, and then later on, Jesus himself laid down his life. Life. The ultimate kingdom of this world is not one through power or through any earthly kingdom, but rather through the kingdom of God, which was established by the suffering of Jesus on a cross and the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And his kingdom will advance and has advanced beyond every generation. Babylon fell, Greece fell, Medo Persia fell, Rome fell. <laughs> All the kingdoms fell, and all the way through here were the people of God following Jesus Christ until that final day when Jesus comes to establish his kingdom. Maybe you've been a little bit insane yourself, and you've thought you were in charge, or you've thought no one was in charge. <laughs> Let your reason come back to you. Romans 12, 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable worship. It's reasonable to bow down to the Lord. Let's have prayer as we close. Father, well, first of all, I, I, I ask that you take what's worthwhile about what I've said and help have it be helpful to people. And where perhaps it's, you know, not as helpful that you would allow them to be seed by the side. But give us also open hearts to hear what it is you have to say to us. Help us not to be hard-hearted, but open the soil of our hearts so that you can plant the seed of your word in our lives. Thank you that you are a God who works even by giving your life for us. Give us wisdom as we seek to practice these principles and be faithful citizens, both of the city of man, but primarily of the city of God. I ask this in his name. Amen.